Good afternoon. Happy Easter Sunday. Today is the 17th of April, 2022, and you're listening to Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest, the United States. This is lecture number 34 in diabetes. If you want to get a feeling for how bad the pandemic of obesity and diabetes is. I'm going to give you some statistics, which I don't normally do on my podcast, but I think it's worthwhile to listen. Um, the number of overweight people that were accounted for worldwide back in 1980, okay, was somewhere around 0.85 billion. In 2020, that number has reached 2 billion. So it's about doubled, more than doubled. Now, at the same time, we've had a massive increase in diabetes. We went from 108 to 463. And we're going to go as high as 700 million by the next 20 years. So 108 million, 463 million that have actually been documented in 2020. And the trajectory now is putting us stopping maybe at around 700 to 750 million people with type 2 diabetes alone. Most of these people are in the West, but I want you to get the understanding clear. We are in an obesogenic and diabetic pandemic, and it doesn't look like it's leveling off, even with all of the health care that's being thrown at it. In fact, somewhere around seven and a half billion U.S. dollars were spent in 20. 20, seven and a half billion in 2020 on obesity, overweight, associated health um, deficits. The number for diabetes is absolutely amazing. Worldwide, the numbers look like somewhere around 760 billion. U.S. dollars were spent on type 2 diabetes research and most of that money on health rehabilitation. So you can understand that while obesity is increasing, type 2 diabetes is increasing, at the same time, the cost of these two diseases uh, are really becoming a significant portion of the budget that households have for recovery of any kind of health concerns. Okay, so that gives you just a, a small window into the statistics. Now, <clears throat> let's get back into some biochemistry. You know that adipose tissue, we talked a lot about it, this is in humans now, is a major endocrine hormone organ and it controls essentially the entire energy homeostasis in humans because we are oligenous organisms. 
So Adipose, of course, stores without any water of hydration, the amount of kilocalories necessary to keep a person alive for an extended period of time, all in the form of one organic molecule, complex lipid molecule called triacylglycerol. Very simple structure, three fatty acids attached as oxygen esters to the backbone of glycerol. So obviously adipose is absolutely significant and important for human health. So it's interesting that obesity, which is an overabundance of adipose, at the same time will cause severe health problems. And that's because of the major role that adipose plays in metabolic homeostasis. So what about adipose? There's two kinds, primarily, and I told you primarily, and you'll see the numbers in a minute. We store white adipose tissue, WAT, W-A-T. There's also some brown adipose tissue. The distinction between the two, as you recall, brown adipose tissue looks brown because it has mitochondria. Mitochondria make tissue look brown or it gives it a, a browning characteristic under light microscopy because of the fact that mitochondria have a lot of proteins that contain iron, such as the cytochromes. So with a high abundance of mitochondria in cells, you're going to get those cells to look, that would otherwise look white, in contrast, microscopy would look beige or light brown. And that's because of the amount of iron that's in that mitochondria and the number of mitochondria that are in the cell. So it's a good correlation, okay? Now, many mammals, particularly the rodent model that's used for many, many, many thousands of studies every year for exactly what we've been discussing, diabetes and obesity, put on a lot of brown adipose tissue. Humans do not. Now, infants, neonate babies, all the way up to about six months to a year old, have more brown adipose than adults do. But even by the, even by the age of two, the amount of brown adipose tissue tremendously drops in a ratio of WAT to BAT. And it continues that way. In fact, the WAT concentrations um, increase through aging and they level off. But I'm going to give you a value that you're going to realize why you hear a lot of discussion about brown adipose tissue and that, you know, oh, if we could only increase it, we would be energetically more favorable and people wouldn't, and it wouldn't matter if you had more adipose because you would still be healthy with that kind of adipose you could keep your body mass index down. Well, that would be the case if we could actually alter in any significant way that ratio of WAT over um, BAT. And there's really no way of doing it. In fact, brown adipose tissue, because it has mitochondria, if we were to store more brown adipose tissue, I've always argued this in lecture, uh, just from a bioenergetic and a reactive oxygen species uh, point of view, you would have much more reactive oxygen species generated because of all that mitochondria 
because of all those iron-containing proteins. And likely you would be inducing a tremendous arc of disease states, including essentially, the simplest way to look at it is an overreactive inflammatory response. So if you think about evolution of humans, you think about the amount of depot fat we store, if we're storing more than is necessary so that we become obese, it's because of a sedentary lifestyle, high caloric density food, and overeating. If these three uh, behaviors were somehow, and sedentary lifestyle is, is one of the major ones as you get older, if those three types of uh, behaviors could be limited, and they can be limited by free will, then there wouldn't be an obesity epidemic and there wouldn't be a type 2 diabetic deb, uh, epidemic. Of this, I can make, I think, many strong biochemical arguments using evidence. <clears throat> that being said, there is this interest between white adipose tissue and brown adipose tissue. It's worth discussing, so I'm going to do it right now. So you know what mitochondria do? Mitochondria are basically involved in beta-oxidation of fatty acids. Uh, you get amino acid metabolism in mitochondria. You get the finishing of carbohydrate oxidation via the tricarboxylic acid cycle. <clears throat> you also get some complex lipid synthesis occurring there. So you have the electron transport system, oxidative phosphorylation, fatty acid metabolism, including ketogenesis. Um, and then the, again, the TCA cycle, amino acid metabolism. There's some nucleotide metabolism in the mitochondria as well. And also that, that includes um, sugar nucleotides and lipid nucleotides and further bifurcation of those many pathways. So the mitochondria is a very important essential organelle. Uh, and it's heavily enriched in skeletal muscle, cardiac muscle, endothelial muscle, of course, in the central nervous system. Um, so mitochondria necessary in cells. But white adipose tissue is relatively deficient in mitochondria. It's because white adipose tissue do not have a role in generating a great deal of ATP or amino acid metabolism or even beta oxidation of fatty acids because white adipose tissue doesn't do chemical work. It's a storage depot, we call it depot fat, right? A reservoir, if you will, to mobilize uh, oxid oxidizable carbon in the form of fatty acid uh, to the liver for beta oxidation of fatty acids. And then during times of fasting or long-term starvation, which was common during the evolution of the human metabolic grid, then that adipose tissue maintains enough bioenergetic capability in the form of ketogenesis that the human body can last for a long period of time. Continuing to forage, uh, get another um, nutritional input, and then last until the next nutritional input. With the invention of agriculture, the um, city-state, and then the urbanization of society, the socialization of society, we've become uh, much less dependent on um, physical labor to maintain our society and because of that where we live and what we eat and those other components I just said 
And the fact that we live longer means that we are suffering a pandemic of our own <clears throat> choosing. Okay. Obviously, a person doesn't have to become obese, uh, even if you live in an environment where there are a lot where there's ready calories. Right? So that's the whole point. Now, <clears throat> I've said that many times before, so I hope it's no a surprise to you that this is the way a lipid biochemist, that is me, I look at it. And I don't think I'm alone in that regard. So white adipose uh, is composed of adipocytes that are, of course, spherical cells, and they will vary in size depending on how much lipid is accumulated within the cell. And the lipid's in the form of a lipid droplet, which is almost pure triacylglycerol. And within an adipocyte, the amount of triacylglycerol in the lipid droplet, it's called a droplet because it is um, bordered by a unit membrane enriched in a protein called perilipin. Now, there's a few other proteins in there too. But primarily, this is a storage organelle. It is not a metabolic organelle, okay? The, that, that is the lipid droplet. And because a lipid droplet could be up to 90% of the adipocyte, you get the idea the adipocyte doesn't need a lot of other machinery to carry out multiple metabolic tasks because it's a storage depot for the human body right? and for mammals in general. Now, there are mitochondria in white adipocytes but they're unusual in their shape and in their biochemistry and therefore in their physiology. And shape is important because it also explains why um, the mitochondria in white adipocytes don't have full functionality as they do in other cells. Okay? And so they're thin, they're elongated, and I'm going to tell you a lot about their biochemistry in a moment. But keep in mind that the, the uh, white adipocytes have certain proteins that are not common in other cell types. And these proteins are actually involved in the overall activity of white adipocytes do. And again, you know that there are hormone-sensitive lipases, and there are other kinds of lipases and adipocytes. You also know that there is glucose transport, glucose utilization in adipocytes. You know all that because we've talked about it. But I'm going to give you now more detail on the kind of genes that are expressed in uh, white adipose tissue. For example, there's one protein called the molybdenum cofactor sulfurase carboxyterminal domain-containing protein 1. Yes, I know, lovely name. For short, it's called MOSC1. It also has other um, names depending on when it was first discovered and looked at. So that's an abundant protein in white adipose. Another one is acyl coenzyme A synthase. You know where that comes from. And there's also acetyl-CoA synthase. Finally, pyruvate dehydrogenase kinase. Those are three very abundant enzymes in white adipose tissue. And, you know, the PDH kinase will shut down PDH activity. And what does that tell you? It tells you that glycolysis at the end of the glycolytic pathway is limited. Right? 
because you shut down the production of acetyl-CoA. So now more on this uh, MOSC1 uh, protein. That is an enzyme that sulfurates the molybdenum cofactor, which is a which is the required cofactor for the activation of an enzyme called xanthine dehydrogenase. But also you need molybdenum for aldehyde oxidase. Now, XDH, xanthine dehydrogenase, catalyzes the conversion of hypoxanthine to uric acid <coughs> via intermediate xanthine. It's also involved in the conversion of allopurinol to oxypurinol. So it plays multiple roles in nucleotide metabolism. And it, and it also, because of those interactions, it can generate a lot of reactive oxygen. In fact, mutations in that gene cause xanthinuria, xanthinuria type 2, which is an inborn error of metabolism or a metabolic disorder. <clears throat> and what happens with that disorder is you get decreased levels of uric acid in the urine, but increased levels of xanthine and hyposanthine in circulation, and that is in serum and also in the urine. And you get a formation of xanthineal stones in the urinary tract. And myositis in association with that tissue deposition of xanthine. So it's a well-characterized disease state. So, the morphology of mitochondria in white adipocytes, I've told you that they're distinct from, for example, the morphology of mitochondria in brown adipose. So, in white, the mitochondria are small, ellipsoid, and elongated. In brown adipose, the mitochondria are larger, spherical, and they're packed with Christie, which of course is where all the electron transport occurs. Um, there's a small number of mitochondria in adipocy white adipocytes, but in uh, brown adipocytes, there could be quite a large number. The mitochondria in the white adipose tissue are poorly developed, but they're highly differentiated and developed in brown adipose. The function of, of mitochondria in white adipose tissue, now this is the significant thing, is for lipogenesis. Whereas in brown adipose tissue, the major function of the mitochondria is for fatty acid oxidation, beta oxidation, and associated with UCP, uncoupling protein, thermogenesis, non-shivering thermogenesis. In fact, uncoupling protein 1, which is a mitochondrial membrane, out of mitochondrial membrane protein, which allows for the dissipation of the uh, electron transport gradient uh, because of the loss of the proton motive force, um, will yield heat generation rather than ATP synthesis. That UCP1 expression in white adipocytes is low, but it's very high in brown. Okay. So there's some important things to keep in mind. So human brown adipose tissue can be activated to increase glucose uptake and energy expenditure. That's, of course, of interest to nutritional researchers and health uh, clinicians 
because if there was a way to treat obesity by somehow altering white adipose tissue to brown adipose tissue, you could take care of diabetes and maybe even decrease body mass. Now, brown adipose tissue, if you look at this, and this was studied, uh, I found a paper published in PNAS in 2017. Let me just tell you the basics, right out of the abstract. They looked at only a very small population of healthy young men. 12 of them were lean body mass, and then the other eight were obese. So BMI of 23 is an average for the lean, and the BMI of 35 for the obese. Okay. And what they measured was brown adipose tissue volume. And they also looked at the uptake of fluorodeoxyglucose using positron emission tomography, computerized tomography. So that's PET-CT. You've heard me talk about that technique many times before. Non-invasive technique used often. So obese men had less activated BAT than lean men. Big surprise. And they did this by a volume basis, which is kind of interesting because it should have been a specific activity, but we'll go with the volume. Brown adipose uh, tissue in obese, 130 mils versus 330 mils in the lean. More fat in the bat-containing depots, much more so. And there was a wide range of that ratio of activated brown adipose tissue to inactive adipose tissue among individuals. So there's a lot of variation. They also discovered there were six anatomical areas that actually had higher levels of activated brown adipose. And these included these anatomical locations, cervical, the supraclavicular, the axillary, the metastinal, the paraspinal, and even the abdominal cavity had most of the brown adipose tissue concentrated in a continuous fascia layer. And that was usually the first three depots in the upper torso. Those are non-subcutaneous fat deposits. And they amount to about one, here's the number, 1.5% of the total body mass, making only 4.3% of the fat mass. Yeah. So 4.3% even in the obese uh, individuals. So you get the idea, and in lean, in lean individuals, it was, uh, I mean, 4.3 was in the lean individuals, and it was less in the uh, obese individuals. 1.5% in the uh, lean, uh, I mean, in the obese versus 4.3 of the body mass in the uh, lean, okay? 1.5 obese, 4.3 lean. So that means much less than 5% of the total fat mass, even in lean, healthy, uh, young men, okay? So we're not gonna be able to change that percentage to any significant degree. So when we talk about depot fat, this is the take-home message. We are almost always talking about white adipose tissue, okay? That is the important thing. But we can still talk about the mitochondria a little bit. So again, the white adipocyte mitochondria are our main source of ATP. 
Um, and so there is some ATP necessary, even in the adipocyte. And it's needed for lipogenesis, but also you need ATP to control lipolysis and fatty acid oxidation, even though you generate ATP that way, right? So for lipogenesis, you need ATP, but lipolysis and fatty acid oxidation are going to generate ATP. WAT, white adipose tissue, had fewer mitochondria than brown adipose, obviously. Also, white adipose tissue has much less expression of beta-oxidation genes, uh, such as the acylchoid dehydrogenase, right? And that suggests the activity of fatty acid oxidation in the white adipose tissue is lower, and indeed it is. There are also qualitative and quantitative differences in the mitochondrial proteins in the two different adiposes. The mitochondria of the brown fat cells are more similar to those of skeletal muscle, as we've just described the phenotype, uh, whereas in white fat cells, the mitochondria do not support um, that function. In fact, in white adipose cells, the mitochondria primarily work on adipogenesis. But also, interestingly, and again, another important component of the adipose, adipose actually is involved in utilizing redox metabolism via the P450, acetochrome P450 pathway, to remove and degrade xenobiotics. So while the adipose tissue is the major reservoir for energy, once called upon via lipase and lipoprotein metabolism and sending all that carbon to the liver to generate ketone bodies, but also to make during beta oxidation of fatty acids. You don't use the carbon for this, but you use the reducing power made in the form of NADH and FADH2 for gluconeogenesis. So the liver becomes gluconeogenic because you're burning fat, right? But you're not using the carbon. The carbon is being used to make ketone bodies, which of course are cetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate, which are essentially um, freely soluble in the serum and can cross through, for example, the blood-brain barrier. Uh, not the same, of course, with fatty acids, right? So the two major things that came out of this one study I've looked at, um, but also multiple studies in general, review articles talking about this. So with brown adipocytes, you have multilocular lipid droplets. This is also a difference. So that's probably because it, you're increasing surface area of those lipid droplets, and you're more likely to be able to, after lipase-mediated removal, make acyl-CoAs, and then run those acyl-CoAs in the mitochondria uh, via beta once carnitine mobilizes the acyl group into the mitochondria for beta-oxidation for ATP synthesis. Right? And so that makes perfect sense that the mitochondria have different phenotypic structure because structure begets function, and function is all about further ATP synthesis. Now, remember, too, that brown adipose can also be thermogenic. So when you have high levels of electron transport chain, beta-oxidation of fatty acids, electron transport chain, all in place, all in situ, in the brown adipose tissue. But then you throw in uncoupling proteins, uh, that, which are uh, in the mitochondrial membrane. You uncouple the electron 
uh, gradient and the proton motive gradient. And what you result in is not ATP synthesis, but heat. Okay. So that's the basic take home message for all of this. Now, a little bit more about adipocyte differentiation. Mitochondria are significant for adipocyte differentiation. And also because of that, from going from pre-adipocytes to adipocytes, lipid homeostasis, insulin sensitivity, oxidative metabolism cap uh, capability, adaptive thermogenesis, and the potential for browning. Right? All of that is key. So the mitochondria are key for all those physiological roles. So when you look at adipocyte differentiation, it's actually closely characterized and monitored by the induction of a mitochondrial electron transport chain. So during adipogenesis, pre-adipocytes undergo a transcriptional regulation sequence whereby adipogenic regulators, and we've just talked about these, like the peroxone proliferative activated receptor gamma and the CCAAT enhancer binding proteins, the CEBPs, and one more, the PPAR gamma coactivator 1-alpha, that's PGC1-alpha, lead to the promotion of mitochondrial biogenesis. Because these are all basically triggered around the utilization of fatty acid. Remember, we just went through this. But then the adipose, when this happens, you make more mitochondria. Because that, that essentially is a prolegomena for mitochondrial biogenesis. Now, besides that, you also get a lot of mitochondrial um, transformation or remodeling. And that, of course, is closely associated with the adipocytes.